You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Give the band a round of applause. That was fun. Hey guys, good morning. I am so glad to be with you here this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. John chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. We're talking about uh, a message about how grace frees us. And it's all about grace. Grace is experiencing God's goodness even when we don't deserve it. And so this morning what you're going to see is you're going to see the great opportunity about how Jesus invites us into a relationship with Him that brings a sense of freedom that is incredible. So today what I want to do is I just want to talk to you about the core of freedom and how important it is in American history, culture, and specifically the freedom that Jesus offers. Freedom is the power or the right to act, to speak, or think as one wants without any hindrance or restraint in the absence of an oppressive government. Freedom is a powerful word. Uh, It's even more powerful reality. Nations have gone to war for freedom. Our nation was built upon freedom. July 4th, 1776, you know it well. 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence. And among other things, they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We always have believed in freedom as the best way to live, but we don't always live in that reality. According to LifeWay Research, Uh, 40% of Americans desire personal freedom. In this research project, it's the number one largest desire of the American people is a desire for personal freedom. Above any other desire, that desire is true. For most people, I would say, in American culture. As a parent, we want freedom, right? We want freedom to raise our kids in an environment that they're going to learn, that they're going to grow, that they're going to be safe. We want the freedom to be able to send them to a school that's a good school. We want to put them on a good sports team. As a parent, those of you who are fatigued from having children and lots of children, you want freedom from your children. You want a date night. You want a personal time to maybe pursue a hobby or some kind of life outside of the home. As a husband, for me personally, I I want our family to have financial freedom. I want my wife to have freedom to choose to work or not have to work. I want my family to be free in the sense of a safe, loving, warm environment. They're not afraid of the bully on a bus. I want them to have that freedom. As a pastor, I want to ensure that we have freedom in, our, in, our, in the life of our people. And no one's in bondage or in darkness and feeling enslaved to guilt and shame. I want our ministries to experience freedom where we're not limited uh, by resources, but God continues to bring exponential resources so ministries can flourish and thrive. 
freedom in our budgets to expand ministries and build better ministries. As Christians, we all want freedom. We all want freedom to be accepted, to be loved as we should be, or not as simply as we should be, but, or as we ought to be, but for who we are. Freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom is what we want. Nobody says, I want bondage. Nobody says, I want to be a prisoner. Nobody says, I enjoy a lack of freedom. We need freedom. We need freedom. Freedom from our past, freedom from an abusive relationship, freedom from a destructive pattern, freedom from a habit or an addiction. We need freedom. Freedom to live in a courageous, with a courageous faith, not a crippling faith. We need freedom. This morning, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. Uh, in following, Jesus says some incredible words. He says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, what? Free. That statement is one of the most memorable statements of Jesus' messages. That statement, you will know the, the truth and the truth will set you free, is on signias and symbols of universities of prestige all around our country. Yet they take it out of context. Jesus is claiming to be the truth. See, there was a crowd of uh, those who truly believed. In verse 31, Jesus spoke to the Jews who had believed. Some had truly believed and accepted him as the Son of God, and some didn't. And Jesus is claiming to be the truth. And under the Jewish thought and process, the Jews would have understand that the truth literally means God is truth. So Jesus is speaking their language, but he's, he's going to press them and they're going to be confused. There are some uh, Jewish uh, believers that have accepted Jesus entirely as the Son of God and others who have not. And Jesus is speaking to the crowd he has already done incredible miracles. He's changed water into wine. He fed the multitudes. He's already declared and demonstrated his power and authority over all creation. He has demonstrated himself as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And here he talks about freedom. What does it mean to be free? There's three things I want to point out in the text is believing in Christ, abiding in the word and knowing the truth. True disciples live in freedom. What does it mean to, to be free? As a, an American, we value freedom. And let me remind you, you have a citizenship that far exceeds your, your country's heritage. You're an eternal citizen. And the freedom that God offers is this, is as we believe in Jesus Christ, there's a liberation that happens that you find a new freedom in life. It's like a door opens to a whole new world when you become a Christian believing in Jesus Christ. Some in the crowd that Jesus was addressing believed, fully believed. There are some that just believed a little bit about him. He's a good guy, he's a good teacher, but he's not truly the son of God. Jesus says, secondly, that we're to abide in the Word. He says, if you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. 
What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You must and you will abide in the Word. Abiding in the Word, the word abide means it's to continue. It's uh, The Word here is the teachings of Jesus. It also is a reference to the Old Testament Scriptures. Jesus is calling them to abide in the Word. That the Christian life, listen to this, is more about abiding than it is abstaining. If you want to experience a new level of freedom in your life as a believer, get over that annoying habit, get over that annoying, uh, annoying addiction that's, that's feeling like it's just locking you up. I would argue you might need to focus not so much on abstaining from that, but you ought to focus more on abiding in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the source and the power of the freedom is in the truth of who Jesus is. The Bible said that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is is the remedy for our great struggle in every area of our life. Abiding in the Word, he says, if, that is a contingency statement, if you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple literally means a learner. You know, the great news about Christianity is a young boy or a young girl or an old man or an old woman can all be learners. See, in God's eyes, we're all children. He's the Heavenly Father, and we are His children, and we're to be learners. Each day, my kids get on the bus and they go to school to learn. They come home, and I hope they've, I say, what'd you learn today? And they oftentimes say, nothing. (laughs) I said, no, really, what'd you learn today? Maya, my six-year-old, will chime in real quick and tell me, oh, I learned how to count to this, I learned how to count to that. Learning. You and me, lifelong learners. Believing in Christ, we've got to learn how to do that over and over again. Believing that God's ways are better than our ways. Believing in Jesus Christ is the remedy for our struggle, our hindrances, our hurt. He will help and heal. Recently, I did a memorial service, and here in our chapel, had 200 and something people, or about 200 people here on Friday. And I quoted the scripture from the Psalms, how God is near to the brokenhearted and heals. And it's constant life, brings us all sorts of new challenges. And what is our call as a learner, as a grown man or a grown woman or a young man or a young lady? What are we to do? We're to be learners. We're to be disciples. I want to be a true disciple. I don't want to be a a fake disciple. I don't want to be a phony. I want to be real. Jesus says, this is what it looks like. Believe in Christ. Abide in the Word. That means to continue on, to persevere in the Word. Look to it. There are times where you doubt your faith, right? You doubt, man, am I really a Christian? I'm struggling to believe. That simple abidance means that you just come back from time to time. It doesn't mean that you never fall down. It doesn't mean that you never blow it. It means that you get back up. That there's a perseverance in your life. That when you blow it, you go back to Him and say, I want to abide in this. 
Verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, they understood this idea about the truth, know the truth. The Jewish thought was that God is truth and they were thinking, wait a second, are you saying, Jesus, that you are God and then now you're saying and will set you free? They're blind to what Jesus is, is trying to show them. They're deaf to what he's trying to tell them. There's three blinders that we're going to see in the heart of some of these folks that are struggling to uh, understand what it means to truly live in freedom. They say this in verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? First, we see is that they answer him, we're offspring of Abraham. They're wrapped up in a past identity. Their identity is linked to their spiritual heritage. Abraham was a patriarch who was used by God in times past in this context to lead the nation of Israel. And here they are confused as to what Jesus is calling truly a disciple. And they're saying the first thing they do is they say, hey, we're, we're, we're related to Abraham. Be like me challenging you on your faith and saying, man, I heard your testimony and it doesn't, I don't know if you really get it or not. I don't know if you're really living in freedom or not with a relationship with Christ. And you say to me, no, 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 no. Don't you know my great, great grandfather was a pastor or don't you know, I actually have family that's connected to the Pope himself. Or my, my great uncle was connected to Billy Graham. And I say, just because you're related to that person, it doesn't make you a Christian at all. Some of you say, well, I grew up in church or I go to church. It doesn't make you a believer. What makes you a true believer to find the freedom that God offers is Believing in Jesus Christ, abiding in His Word, knowing the truth. Those are the signs of our faith and the assurance that we'll have a freedom. See, they're pointing to Abraham, and then they go on to say, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Which is interesting to me that they're saying that, because the historical storyline of the Jews is, is that they had been um, oppressed by four different kingdoms throughout history. They were enslaved to Babylon. They were enslaved to Greece. They were enslaved to Persia. They were enslaved by the Roman, Romans. And they're confused. And they say, how is it that you say we will become free? I'd like to point out three blinders of freedom. That Jesus offers every single one of us. The first is pride. The second is denial. And the third is defensiveness. They were pride. Prideful. Arrogant. Spiritual arrogance. Well, I've been in church my whole life. Well, you know, I go to church. Makes me a Christian. No. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than McDonald's makes you a hamburger as the great theologian of old Keith Green once said. Pride will blind you from the grace of God that wants to free you. See, what's amazing is that Jesus is making an invitation to a crowd of people. Some believe them, some don't. 
to experience freedom at a greater level. And their pride is blinding them from seeing that. What's the opposite of pride? It's humility. What do you need more than anything to experience freedom in your life? You need a serious dose of humility. The Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. Moses was said to be one of the most humble people that ever walked the earth, and God revealed himself in great power and great uh, majesty. Denial. Denial is a sign that we're blinded to the freedom that God wants to offer through us. And the opposite of denial, I would say, is acceptance. See, these people did not understand the grace of God, Jesus Christ himself. See, when you experience grace, you don't have to live in denial. You can come to acceptance and you can be free. Grace helps you to be humble. Grace helps you not to live in denial, but to live in acceptance of going, you know what? I blow it. I mess up. But God is greater than all my sin. God is greater than any power or struggle that has come against me. God is greater And Jesus' grace is enough. And I'll rely upon that. When you live in grace, you don't have to live in denial. You can live in acceptance. When you live in grace, you don't have to be defensive all the time. You can be receptive. Grace frees us to do this, to be learners. To be a learner. As a disciple, we're to be learners. And grace helps us to learn. When you establish a grace-based home in your family and your kid messes up, if it's a grace-based home, the kid feels the freedom to say, hey, dad, this is what happened at school today. I did the wrong thing and I'm really sorry. I'm, I feel bad. There's an acceptance there at home. If you live in a home that's all guilt and shame, what are you going to do? You're going to hide everything. Because you don't need more guilt and more shame. What Jesus makes an invitation to this crowd is, hey, don't be blind. Don't be deaf. Listen. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, there is a rising intensity in, in Jesus' sermon. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone, who practices sin is a slave to sin. Sin has a a life cycle that it begins with a flirtatious thought or action and it ends up into this enslaving practice where you're in bondage. And Jesus cuts to the chase and he says, everyone, Now, I suppose this could mean those who truly believe in Jesus and those who half-heartedly believe in Jesus. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What does it mean to practice? It's routine, it's consistent, it's continually. What do we mean by a slave? Sin has a way of, like, making you addicted to that sin, that habit, that addiction, that pattern, that behavior that's harmful and hurtful. What do I mean by sin? would broaden the term of sin, not just to be a violation of God's will or God's ways, but it's anything that you choose 
to be better than God's will or God's ways. So we constantly sin. That doesn't mean that we have to be a slave to sin. We can, must realize first of the, the incredible power that sin has and how damaging and destructive it is. Jesus gives, these, gives visual imagery. He says, look at the text again. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave. A slave has no rights. There comes a point in time when you participate and practice sin continually and constantly. It kind of begins to run and rule your life. And we're terrified to expose it. And Jesus is offering an escape route. Freedom. Sin can enslave people on earth. Sin can enslave people for eternity. On earth, there can be an enslavement of people that have fallen under the curse and, and uh, the forbidden fruit of sin and they've walked that path. And when you walk that path more than once and twice, it becomes a habit and it can begin to deteriorate your emotional, your spiritual, your relational life, all of it. And it becomes a pattern of sin. Sin can enslave people on earth. It can enslave people for eternity. The Bible says that if we do not receive Jesus Christ as Lord, He is the great liberator, that He gives us life. He does not offer us death. He offers us life, and we can experience that eternally. And those consequences are huge with sin. If you live a life of sin, your whole life, it ultimately leaves, leads to an eternal imprisonment separated from the love of God, separated from the life of God. Sin has this enslaving power and it can enslave anybody in these areas. And Jesus, what he does is he offers freedom. He is the great emancipator. He is the one who sets the captives free. The Bible says in verse 8, uh, eight chapter 8, 35 and 36, Jesus gives a literal illustration to highlight a spiritual reality. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. What did he mean? Well, under Old Testament Jewish law, every so often in society, there was free individuals and those were, that were, those were, that were, those were slaves. And literally, the slaves were uh, sometimes like indentured servants, and they'd have to work for a household or a family for a number of years. But every so often under Old Testament law, a slave could be freed, and they would not remain in the house anymore. They were free to move on. A son or a daughter of the household had rights and could live in the house forever. And Jesus is using this to illustrate a spiritual reality. Jesus is offering freedom and he uses oftentimes the physical to relate to the spiritual. And so he's saying here is that slaves, they don't have a choice. They can be kicked out of the house at any time. Every so often they're, they're set free. But a son has all the rights that the family has, rights to the table, rights to the, a future and a promise. When we adopted my little girl, Maya, she received all the legal rights that both my biological kids receive. 
and she can remain at my house forever. Jesus, I think, is pushing on a physical reality to help us understand a spiritual reality. See, when you are a Christian, you are no no longer a slave to sin. You are called, your identity as a believer in Jesus Christ is a son or a daughter of the high king of heaven. And you get to spend eternity in the Father's house. Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a, a home for you. In my Father's house, there are a lot of rooms. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to see the house packed out with a bunch of people. We're like, wow, you're a son, you're, you're a daughter, that's awesome. The son remains forever. Jesus turns the language to son and reminds him that he is the son of God. Look in verse 36. So if the son, now it's capitalized, to illustrate that Jesus is the son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. When we believe in Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus sets us free, and we will be free indeed. That means at least two things. We're free from the power of sin, and we're free from the penalty of sin. That you're not enslaved to sin. That you have a way out in every temptation and every struggle you're in. There's not an overwhelming power that controls you anymore. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, He's like the great emancipator. He sets you free. He's the liberator. He's the one who breaks bondage. Some of you have struggled with generational curses upon your family. Alcoholism, some addiction some relational dysfunction, anger, outrage, and it's come in your family line from generation to generation to generation, and you say things like this, well, I act like that because my mama acted like that, or I acted like that because my dad acted like that. It's a cop-out. If you're a Christian, the Bible says that the power of sin is broken, and every person that places their faith in Christ gets a Brand new start to create a new legacy, a new generation, a new pathway, a new life. And Jesus says, I can do that. When you become a Christian, what does He mean? The Son sets you free and you will be free indeed. It means there's not a power above, above the power of Christ. He has preeminence and predominance. He is the overwhelming power in your life that you have access to. You don't have to stay enslaved to some sin pattern that you're in. If it's secret, reveal it. And you need to know that this is a grace-based church, so you don't have to hide in denial or defensiveness. You can seek to be, find acceptance for who you are. Not perfect, but a person in progress. Free from the power of sin. You're no longer a slave. You are a son or a daughter of the high king of heaven. You're free from the penalty of sin. Your destiny is not death. Your destiny is not bondage. Your destiny is not hell. Your destiny is heaven. Your destiny is hope. Your destiny is 
forever in a life with God, experiencing the love of God, the life of God. You have a supernatural presence upon your life. You have something that most people do not have. 87% of the Phoenix Valley does not go to church, does not know Jesus Christ. You walk with a high countenance that's from heaven. You might not feel that. You might not experiencing that, but it's not because of any limitation because of God. It's because of a lack of faith and trust. It's a lack of belief in Christ. It's a lack of abiding in the Word of God. It's a lack of knowing the truth. So my great plea to you is trust God that He's so great and gracious that He wants to offer you a life of freedom. As a Christian, I've been a Christian 20 years. God wants to invite me to a new level of freedom. When I became a Christian, God broke a power of sin upon my life. My grandfather would get angry and go into rage and do stupid stuff. My dad would be the same way. He would do it and, and take it out in verbal attacks and anger. He's not proud of that. My grandpa's not proud of that. And then, so guess who else had to struggle with anger and rage when he was young? That'd be me. Then I'd become a Christian and all of a sudden things change. There's like a a shift in the soul and the emotional well-being. And God does a, a power play change in my life. And I can say by the grace of God, that's not, that's not a part of my life. It's not a part of my life. Uh, God can break patterns, long time ingrained habits, addictions, generational curses upon your life. When you make an exchange, no longer sin is the master, Jesus Christ is the master. When you begin to see that you know Christ is now, you're, you've got to realize if you don't feel loved by the world around you, you've got to know that you're loved greatly by God. You've got to know that you're a son or a daughter of the King and He loves you. He offers you help and assistance through His church family and through Himself. So this morning, what I want to do is remind you that we have freedom from the power of sin. We have freed from the penalty of sin. We don't have to pay for the penalty of sin. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. That's an emotional, spiritual death on life and in eternity. And Jesus says, I paid for that. I paid the penalty for your sins. So when we take communion every week, what we do is we're reminding that it's been paid for. We don't have to live as a prisoner awaiting our, our sentence or in high guilt or shame. But we can experience freedom. And we can experience freedom from the power of sin too as we rely upon Christ. This morning what I want to do is invite up my good friends Todd and Jerry Kehoe who experienced God's grace and the freeing power of that. Would you give them a North Valley welcome with me? Todd, Jerry, thank you so much for being willing to come and share your story about how God's grace brought a new level of freedom into your life. So I'll just let you guys get started. Thank you. I grew up in a loving yet dysfunctional family. My role in our household was to keep the peace and try and make everyone happy. I was raised in the Mormon faith, leading me to work hard and do good so that I would be loved by God and get into heaven. My caretaking tendencies that I learned during childhood continued into my adult life. I found myself attracted to men who were broken. I thought they just needed a good woman to get back on track. I didn't have, 
a personal relationship with Jesus or know how the Holy Spirit worked. I thought I could be their savior, I could fix them, and then we live happily ever after. Needless to say, my first two marriages ended in divorce. Towards the end of my second marriage, my spouse and I did attend a Christian church, and I was baptized. I still didn't get it. Even though I was attending a church, and I prayed to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was struggling to understand what that meant to me and how it would eventually change my destiny. Growing up, I had a confusing childhood. My parents divorced just after I was born. My father was an alcoholic for the first nine years of my life. I was led to believe my mom's second I was led to believe my mom's second husband was my dad. I was then told my biological father was my uncle Jimmy. During my teen years I lived in a fantasy world full of lots of lots of money and little no little to no parental parental supervision or consequences for my actions. I began drinking at, and using drugs at 13. My house was a party central for all my kids in my small town. I did attend church regularly growing up. I went to Bible study, memorized verses, and went to church camp. At 15, I was confirmed into the Lutheran church. I remember feeling horrible that day as I was hungover. As I got older, I believed that I had put enough hours going to church as a child and that I was good as far as getting into heaven. The problem was I knew nothing. I was just playing church. I did not have a relationship with God. I still, had so much, I still had so much unresolved conflict from my childhood. My family never talked about their feelings and swept anything bad under the rug. Instead of looking to the Lord for help and understanding, I chose to escape from, from it by using drugs and alcohol. Jerry and I started dating in 2010. She knew I drank, but neither of us could have imagined that in a few years, my drinking and recreational drug use would turn into full-blown addiction. By 2012, I was using drugs daily and lying constantly to avoid getting caught. Our relationship was on the verge of ending by the fall of 2013. I could no longer hide my secret life, and Jerry begged me to get help. I knew I didn't want to lose her, and yet I wasn't ready to give up drinking. I was, however, realizing that even though I wanted to stop using drugs, I just couldn't seem to stay clean. Jerry had been asking me to attend church. I thought it wouldn't hurt, so we started attending a new church in our neighborhood, now called North Valley Community Church. We would usually come in late and sneak out early so we wouldn't have to get involved in all that churchy stuff. I so wanted our relationship to work. I could see something in Todd that was so genuine and caring. I really felt deep love from him and for him that I had never experienced. For the next several months, there were many sleepless nights, and I often felt alone. In February of 2014, I went to my first recovery meeting. It was a 12-step program for families of alcoholics and addicts. I learned that I did not cause it, I cannot control it, and I sure as heck can't cure it. They talked a lot, they talked a lot about a higher power, a God of my own understanding. I knew there was only one God, and if I wanted to understand him, I would need to go to the source, the Bible. I started reading the Bible. I prayed for Todd. I joined a woman's book study at our church. I took my focus off what Todd was doing and wasn't doing and put my focus on my walk with the Lord. I found a wonderful Christian support group called STEP. It stands for trust, excuse me, stands for surrender, trust, embrace, and pursue. I still attend weekly. 
There I learned I was not living the life God had intended for me. I learned about the power of prayer. I gained knowledge and tools to help me understand and how to set boundaries, not to punish Todd, but to protect myself. On an evening in 2014 of May, I found out that Todd had relapsed after 90 days of sobriety. I started to cry, having sadness and despair in my heart. That lasted only for a moment, and then I felt this peace over me, a literal feeling of a weight being lifted off my shoulders. I remember lifting my head and saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, I get it. I finally understood that I'm not Todd's savior. This was not my job. I had been getting in God's way. That was a huge turning point for me. I have faith in God, I know Jesus, and I felt the Holy Spirit for the first time that night. The Lord was with me, and I was changed. I started my recovery journey. I started my recovery journey in February of 2014. I was seeing a counselor and attending AA meetings almost daily. I was white knuckling it, so to speak. I was relying on my own will and taking suggestions from a sponsor who was not Christian. I continued to struggle with my sobriety for the next 18 months. And on August of 2015, I attempted to take my life. Um, I drove my car out in the desert, and I put a hose in my tailpipe, shoved my socks in it, and I set, started the car. I realized God did for me what I could not do for myself because I received a call from Pastor Jonathan wanting to meet me. We accepted Pastor Jonathan's offer for counseling, mm got more in church. Todd fired his sponsor and got a Christian sponsor at our church. We received love and support from our North Valley family and our neighborhood groups and got wise, godly counsel. Todd started attending a Christian recovery program, and I continued with my Christian support groups. I thank the Lord every day for removing my obsession of drugs and drinking alcohol. Jerry's support and love through all of this has helped me understand that I am worthy and deserving of love. We continue to share our experience, strength, and hope to all who will listen. Together we made a decision to strive to always put God first, our marriage second, and everything else after that. We share our hope. We share open and honest feelings with each other and pray together nightly. We enjoy serving beside each other in ministry, and it is great to have my best friend by my side. There are so many times through this journey that I didn't know if I was going to make it or even if I wanted to. God obviously had different plans. I'm still a work in progress. Sometimes I worry that God is giving me more than I can handle. I then just must remember, this is 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I know that God's grace is enough for me. It's only by God's grace of God, it's only by the grace of God that I'm alive and sober today. Let's give him a round of applause. <clears throat> Thank you for having the courage to share. It's really cool to see that. So, you know, um, I want to encourage you, uh, if you've got a story to share, share it, because it means the world to people. 
Um, you know, when we decided to do this message series, uh, we said, you know what, we're going to do an eight-week series and we're going to highlight God's grace week after week uh, through the life of people. A couple things that st- stood out to me that in that testimony I want to just bring to your mind is this, is praise God for the phone call from Pastor Jonathan to Todd that day. Okay, let me, let me explain something to you real quick. That's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit moves in the life of people as a believer, and it's God's grace using people to act and to do something. In that moment, right, oh my goodness, do we not see the illustration of grace freeze. What did the enemy want? He wanted to take Todd out to continue in the generational curse from generation to generation to generation, and in God's great grace, raises up a gentleman by the name of Jonathan just to call on that day and intervene in that moment. And Todd, praise God, if it was Verizon or AT&T, it had signal. You know? And he picks up the phone, and you know what? God demonstrated himself so faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. Be that message of grace and help set people free. Amen? You can set people free. Not by your power, but by the grace of God working in your life, you can set people free. That's what we're called to. Calling people to freedom. Calling people to freedom. The second thing is, on that testimony, I just want to highlight is just uh, the perseverance of the marriage in that. Um, I hope you see a couple like Todd and Jerry and whatever background you have, and you, you can say, would I be accepted, or I'm afraid, or what if they wouldn't love me? You need to know the reason why there's a great love is because we know the great love of Jesus Christ. And we see in this couple right here, God's redemption. God's doing an incredible work, and we want to celebrate that and highlight that. Um, God is a good Father. And, uh, man, He loves every single one of you so much. He's got a great plan for your life as you pursue to follow Him. doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be a cakewalk. But it's a better life. It's a better life. So as we take communion today, I want you to think about your relationship to your Heavenly Father and the great price that He's paid for you, that He has brought you in, and you are part of the eternal house forever, the new family. Uh, Communion is going to come forward. Um, We're going to sing a song called I Am Redeemed. And it's about God's redeeming power and work. And so whatever struggle you're in, whatever hardship you're facing, or whatever you need, just realize that there is a great power in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.